And there it is. Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, episode 38. What is applied meditation? Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello, and welcome back to Fusion Health Radio, and welcome if this is your first time here. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you today? Pretty good. Uh, we've managed to uh, iron a few wrinkles uh, with our technology here, and hopefully this will be a better quality version than any other podcast slash um, video recording that we've done of a podcast so far. So far. <laughs> we'll and, see. <laughs> and there's only been one other one, so <laughs> the bar is really low. <laughs> um, we're here today to talk to you about uh, something that uh, I've heard you talk about as being a uh, very integral part of uh, health and well-being, and that's uh, meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm not sure quite where the discussion should begin, but uh, perhaps maybe just a um, an explanation. Do you want to tell people to find what meditation is? Um, well, the focus I have mostly in clinical practice is on what we call applied meditation, which is um, using applied consciousness to change your state. So typically when people hear the word meditation, they picture someone sitting on a chair or on a bench or a cushion or something. Uh, And for, I don't know, the sake of good theater, they probably have some incense and a little statue of some fat guy meditating or something. (laughs) You know, in the sense that we uh, naturally, I think if you don't have much experience with it, you just assume it has something to do with a spiritual practice and maybe some kind of deity or something. Um, when you get into the more um, non-religious aspects of meditation, it's more talked about in the sense of mindfulness practice, right? Because again, the term meditation just you know turns a lot of people's off, or they just assume it's a person sitting in a chair with some incense and a gong or somebody chanting. Mindfulness is just a way of uh, you know modern psychologists and stuff asking people to just learn to pay attention to what actually comes up in the you know, the funny little talking voices in your mind. You know, we talked recently about voice dialoguing and voices in your head. Uh, and definitely I would encourage anyone to, if you haven't heard that podcast, listen to it. It's probably the funniest one we've done. <laughs> um, but that practice is actually really, really profound. And I actually wanted to share this with you, Anthony, because it was really fun to do that podcast. Mm-hmm. It was really uh, a good time to do it. But ever since that day, uh, which wasn't that long ago, I've actually been going way, way deeper into the voice dialoguing practice. For and yourself? Probably, yeah, probably deeper than I ever have in my life because for whatever reason, uh, that's just where my mood is at. And I can't believe how much uh, it's doing again now that I'm bringing it back into my practice. Hmm. So if you're not in, into the idea of meditating and sitting there and mindfully listening to your mind jabber on about whatever it is it's worried about um you can listen to the podcast and listen to us jabber on instead <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go <clears throat> so choice one voice dialogue and get to know those voices and actually talk to them choice number two is the mindfulness thing which uh is again to basically be a really good listener to what your body is going to produce as hormones which your brain is going to produce as thoughts which you're going to get to know yourself that way and the hardest part about mindfulness is not having an opinion about your opinions mm-hmm yeah, you know, because you're. I mean, if you're 
you know, say you're dating someone and you're actually intimately really want to get to know them, you have to shut up and really listen to them. Same thing with yourself. Well, what's um, um, the bumper sticker? Uh, You know, you don't have to believe what you think, Mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, what you just were talking about, no? In a way, but I guess I'm trying to frame a couple of distinctions, I guess, maybe around terminology. Okay. Uh, Meditation, most people, again, without any experience, person in a chair or on a bench or in some robes or pajamas or something. I'm not making fun of people. I think I'm making fun of the people who make fun of people. Right. And we have mindfulness, which is sort of a modern psychological uh, psychologist kind of version of meditation. And then there's a more applied thing like voice dialoguing. And that covers what most people have much experience with, unless you're an experienced meditator. And depending on, you know, what tradition or cultural uh, paradigm you've learned your meditation practice from, that's going to form, you know, your experience and your opinion about it. Uh, myself, I mean, I studied to be a Taoist priest. I always say this, it was a phase. <laughs> uh, so I've been invested in meditation for at least 40 years in my life. Um, and Taoist meditation uh, definitely on one level of practice looked like a person sitting on a very specific kind of bench with rocking legs so that you can always stay very focused on posture and alignment. And you do sit and you do focus on all kinds of different breathing methods and different gazes and um, you know things that have to do with that. But there's really only one very small part of that practice of meditation that actually is you sitting there breathing and not having any agenda. When I'm speaking about meditation, often the first thing I bring up is that there's basically two tracks. One is more feminine, one is more masculine. And I don't mean that in the sense of boys and girls, just in the sense of the different ways humans kind of come into the world. Okay. So uh, if this sounds a bit uh, overt for imagery, it's meant to be. Excuse me, I'm just getting over cold. Um, So imagine Mother Earth for the sake of something to imagine. And notice that she likes to give birth to all kinds of stuff all the time, right? And we always make the Taoist joke that mama nature is a little crazy if you think about it, modern Taoism, because when you look at this from a, I guess an archeological point of view, 98% of everything she's given birth to so far is extinct. Wow. <laughs> so the crazy part is she doesn't seem to be too interested or attached to what she's creating. She really just seems to love creating things. Hmm. So when we speak about the feminine mode of meditation, um, imagine yourself as mother earth and in your lap is everything you're giving birth to. And because you're mother nature, um, you can hold all of those beings with a sense of awareness and compassion and patience and kindness. And you can watch them make love with each other, fight with each other, eat each other, go extinct, come up with something new uh, and whatever. But it's that kind of state of all things are welcome here. You know, whatever, you know, and if if I was mother nature and I was giving birth to everything that's going on in the universe right now, uh, of course, um, the state that's going to give me as mother nature the the easiest time with it is just a huge vast sense of patience kindness and compassion because once you give birth to something and you really love it it's free to do whatever it chooses to do Hmm. that old saying you know if you love something let it go and if it comes back well it's meant to be with you so almost a kind of uh, a loving detachment from whatever it is 
uh, that's, that's there in front of you. Mm -hmm. So in that mode of meditation, which I would describe as a feminine mode or, or a more mindfulness, classic meditation, your only job is to allow yourself to give birth to whatever you choose to give birth to in your mind. Your only job is to, um, pay attention to whatever it is that that comes into your mind? Yeah. So if your mind is like mother nature and mm -hmm. it's giving birth to thought and mm -hmm. opinion and sensation and feeling and opinion and opinion about opinions and blah, blah, blah. If you can just shift that state, I am just here to give birth to whatever life wants to do with itself. And as a thinking being, I'm here to naturally randomly think thoughts and I don't have to try and fight with them, control them. And, and this is, the point they go it's extinct if they aren't that interesting hmm. so in in my mind's eye i almost picture myself with a scrolling marquee of ideas that sort of go from one side of what's a marquee <laughs> um like a, something you'd see on a movie theater or like a ticker that actually shows you the news as it's running across oh, okay. right? right so something uh, like on the bottom of the, the cnn what i have that little ticker so the ideas just come rolling across mm -hmm. and i just read them and then I read that one and then I read that one. So I'm just more or less noticing what's being thought as opposed to actually buying into it. Yeah. And then that's, that's the idea of the feminine mindfulness sit and be still <clears throat> uh, version of meditation. And it's super powerful. And I think everyone could do very, very well by starting there mm. because until you can actually accept that your mind is basically well, maybe it's just me, but kind of a loony bin and it's <laughs> randomly stimulated to uh, try and polarize reality from say an instinctual point of view to what is safe and what might bring harm. Right? Mm. Uh, you bring that into a, a social context, like a relationship between two people, you and I, you know, you and your girlfriend, me and my son, you know, whoever it is, the mind has a, an instinctual priority to try and make sure that those things are under control or in some kind of balance or being met in at least a conscious way. And if not conscious, then you, you know, manipulate your children or your partners into behaving the way you try and trick them into. And the mind keeps producing those opinions and rehearsing those conversations. So the more we move into the feminine of the mind, the more we can appreciate what we are giving birth to and not be attached to its source or its um, origin or its uh, inevitable kind of extinction. Then I would say we've hit a kind of uh, emotional and intelligent intelligence. And to be able to get to that place, I mean, the, the whole idea of actually being um, in a quiet meditative space, being able to notice what you're thinking. Um, you said that's the sort of first place to start, but I would think that that would be like the hardest thing to do for some people to actually think about not thinking about what they're thinking. Well, I think is there's sort of a ratio for mm -hmm. most people. I think the ratio that, that makes uh, the most sense to pay attention to is if you had a journal and you kept a, a record, you know, and this would be neurotic as anything, so I'm not suggesting any, anyone do this, but it's to make a point. If I had a little journal or a notebook and I wrote down every day, you know, 10, 15, I was obsessively uh, rehearsing a conversation with somebody I was going to probably have dinner with. And I don't know about you, but no one ever gets the script for what I rehearse in my head. So it's a very pointless thing to do, but that's one of the things the mind will do. 
and then maybe I can write down, you know, 1230, I got really upset with the counter person where I went to buy my lunch because they screwed up my order or they were, um, I don't know, offensive in some way. And then you can just track the number of minutes per day. You're actually in the mind running around in circles. And I'm, you know, this is being video filmed. So I'm making little circle movements around my ear, which is the international sign for crazy people. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's a great symbol for going crazy because if you follow your thoughts in circles and take them very seriously and buy into what they think is dangerous or safer, and you're a person who thinks that short-term control is going to actually get you anywhere in life, you are going to be a bit crazy. Hmm. <laughs> so again, the ratio would be how many minutes a day are you wound up? And right. actually that number of minutes a day that you have to unwind or just sit and do the opposite, which is not take your relentless voice machine, you know, that don't want to stop producing, you know, uh, conversations in your head and just let it do its job. Hmm. You know, and I would say that, that would be a good ratio. Now, honestly, saying that out loud, if anyone's listening to this and you're like going, but I'd have to meditate when I'm sleeping because <laughs> my <laughs> mind won't shut up every waking minute of the day. And yeah, I, I get that. That's why I mean, this is kind of a tongue in cheek, you know, beginning. But I think if you can appreciate that that ratio is in some way something most of us should pay attention to. If I've been wound up for whatever reason, for whatever number of minutes, Am I aware that unwinding for that number of minutes or at least some number of minutes would be a good idea? Mm -hmm. But in my experience, I think the unwinding happens faster. Can. I mean, as as fast as my mind can actually produce thoughts and ideas. I mean, if I was to keep that journal, I could never keep up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't write that fast. My writing's horrible (laughs) as it is, right? So my mind mind going a mile a minute, I couldn't keep up. Mm -hmm. But for me to actually stop and actually just like, (sighs) and um, I would think that if I'm not actually held to um, investing any energy into the thoughts that actually are running around inside my head, um, that it's just easy to let them go. Yeah. And again, when I made up that analogy, I said, I'm not suggesting anyone actually do this. Right. Right. Seriously. It's just, it's just to kind of see, you know, in the sense of a ratio of, of intention, like, are you, do you, do, I mean, as the listener, I'm speaking directly to you, do you actually have a way to change your state that works? Hmm. And if you don't, meditation might be a good idea. Um, you know, or the previous podcast we talked about, about medical cannabis, the reason why cannabis is so powerful, especially with the psycho, psychoactive property, is it gives people who are using it with some experience control over their state, mm-hmm. which is your birthright. Right. So if you're living a life and your state is controlled by everything that triggers your conditioning, then you're not living your birthright. You're living a very conditioned kind of painful, obsessive existence. Yeah. Ping ponging around, reacting to things. Yeah. And I mean, those ping pongs have ping pong babies that just, it's relentless. Like, and that's why I always begin with the mother earth analogy because I'm not trying to make fun of anything here. I mean, nature's a little bit crazy. She just won't stop. Minds are a little bit crazy. They just won't stop. But if you can find a relationship with that that gives you a sense of who you really are as a as a sentient being, and you can recognize you are not the jungling, jumbling pinball ping pong machine in your head, that's just you know your instincts running um, on stress hormones and trying to use language to uh, form uh, actions or potential actions in the future to keep you safe or keep you healthy or get you laid or whatever you're trying to do as the talking mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm just conscious that, um, I mean, we, 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 can, we can talk about 
how this would actually look for somebody. But for somebody who's listening, who has um, more ping pong balls than they know what to do with, <laughs> and who's thinking like they have some sort of glimmer or hope of this actually making sense for them. Yeah. Well, that's why I bring up the feminine part of masculine uh, of meditation. So I can also speak to the masculine. Hmm. Well, I was going to ask you if there was kind of like a, a step one, step two kind of thing, but maybe you want to talk about the masculine first or. Well, yeah, just because it frames the reason why that distinction is important. Okay. So if I was to say the feminine is mother nature as a affirmational deity or something like that, the masculine would look who, uh, like what, um, certain traditions would call Krishna's sword of delusion. Krishna's. So I don't know that one. So the, the idea of that, and I don't think it's from a Hindu practice, but um, the idea is to make your mind turn into the edge of a blade. And that it's only job in the universe for the period of time you're practicing is to cut through any distraction. Any hmm. Anything that you want to do with language, hmm. any opinion, <laughs> I make these cool like kung fu nice so that sounds, but in those practices you're not beeping around at all hmm. right it's every moment every breath every heartbeat every cell in your body is like a tuning fork so i can almost picture that scrolling marquee of ideas that's actually going across my mind it wouldn't be moving well i'd be sitting there with a pelican shooting them out before they could actually start scrolling <laughs> mm, maybe well, I mean, it, 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 the idea is to not even have the thoughts. Yeah, that, that's the point is that there would be no TV. There would be no Pelican. There would be no action between anything because there's nothing. Once you become wholeheartedly a moment, there is no other moment. Mm -hmm. When you decide to become profoundly in uh, a specific uh, orientation of state and your only job is to not lose the orientation of that state, then it's you it's, it's not i wouldn't say a war but your your entire existence for the next number of minutes is to not allow no matter what happens anything to perturb your focus and state that almost sounds impossible hmm? that's why it's krishna's sort of delusion <laughs> yeah and and i would i would think that um i mean if i was to approach the idea of doing something as a as meditation as a practice mm -hmm. if i was given the choice to do one or the other um, I'd tell Krishna, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, and I'm not suggesting we're really fundamentally capable of, capable of either entirely. Mm. It's to try and again. So again, I've been meditating 40 years. I don't know how many different traditions I've dabbled with or invented or, you know, whatever. I'm assuming that people listening to this may not have very much, you know, experience, or they may have a lot. And I'm trying to, you know, bring the conversation to that thing, which is if you're going to choose a mind orientation practice, and you want to polarize it between, you know, the most distinctly different opportunities. One is all is welcome, you know, be at peace. You know, I'm going to love you even if you spit on me. Mm -hmm. The other one is. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is this is the part of the podcast where our audio listeners <laughs> are probably going, what's Michael doing right now? I'm just staring into Anthony's beautiful little eyes with my beady little eyes saying not going to blink <laughs> yeah huh well i i could certainly see how um how both would have uh, beneficial um things for me just in terms of the way i think and how it is i compose myself through the day but again i come back to the idea of like where does somebody start with this i mean just because it's this is probably a brand new concept for a lot of people mm -hmm. um there's got to be some kind of um approach um that you've yeah, there's developed lots. yeah there's lots 
Um, so, I, I mean, in terms of where we start, we all start in the exact middle of the teeter-totter of the complete masculine and the complete feminine of meditation. Because we're in this pure indecisive state in between the two. Right. Do I just watch my mind go blah, 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 or do I focus on my breath? Or, oh, look, a turtle. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Or, oh, wait, I better check Facebook before I start my meditation. <laughs> Right. right. So, I mean, that's the game, right? I mean, we're all fundamentally, even in myself, it doesn't matter if I'm a Jedi or not, whatever that might mean. <laughs> when I begin my meditation, you know, um, well, actually, that's not true because on a certain level, I'm always in meditation because I got made fun of enough for making that mistake. But, <laughs> um, um, but when I do decide to get into a deeper sense of practice, it, it really is like starting in the middle and then choosing do I want to spend a few minutes going towards mom or do I want to spend some time being, you know, the warrior? Hmm. And, and, you know, it, and like you said, I mean, it's way easier to uh, shift your, your sense of yourself in a minute, even if you had a really busy day. So maybe I'm going to spend a minute or 10 with mom or the feminine or the, you know, the more welcoming, compassionate patient state, you know, which mm-hmm. is yummy. Or maybe I, you know, I tip into that and dip into that experience of it going, you know, yeah, it's really affirmational. It's really comforting, but I really have to work out this other slightly neurotic habit that I'm trying to change. And I don't know, sorry if this is disappointing, but I still have neurotic habits that I'm trying to change, <laughs> whatever they might be, if it, you know, and it, nothing serious. But if I focus on that first, yes, let's give it a hug and welcome it. But maybe it would also be good to go in there and, I don't know, negotiate with it. Or, you know, in the sense of the Krishna sort of delusion, annihilate it. Right. Because with some practices of meditation, um, in the sense of um, moving through deep conditioning towards enlightenment, and this is more of a monastic thing, there are traditions of meditation where the only purpose is to annihilate your ego. Annihilate your ego. Wow. I had one spiritual teacher many, many years ago when I actually sat down with him and he says, are you asking me to engage in this relationship as your spiritual mentor? And I said, please. And he said, you've now hired an assassin for your ego. And the look on his face, I almost pooed my pants. Hmm. This is a pretty awakened being, but when an awakened being that you've known for years as a really, really awakened person looks into you with that kind of ferocity and love at the same time, it's, it's terrifying. You're like, Oh my God, I've hired an assassin for my ego and my ego is running around inside of my skin, running for a place to hide in the shadow. Well, it's your ego that's scared, isn't it? No, obviously, (laughs) but I'm just sharing that experience because that's a pretty distinct relationship with what meditation can be about for some people. Mm, Right. And the idea of doing one practice or the other, I like how you describe that of sort of starting in the middle. Mm-hmm. and sort of um, seeing what works and one may be more appropriate at, at a certain time or the other. Um, if one were to meditate um, in either fashion, sitting on the teepee, here I am, hanging out with mom, doing the warrior thing, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, I know for myself being in, in, in that sort of space um, is really good for me and how it all works, but um, his meditation, uh, what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to sound it out. Is it the kind of thing that somebody would want to do all the time every day? Or is it the kind of thing where you would just want to have like a focus committed time to, um, okay, it's a uh, Tuesday at three. This is my time to meditate. Like, like how, how do you actually approach incorporating something like that into your life? 
Um, mindful. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, can I tell you a story? Sure. Um, this is one of my favorite meditation stories, and I'll try and make it a bit abbreviated, but it's a true story. <clears throat> Back in the Sino-Japanese War uh, in the 30s when Japan invaded uh, Shanghai and Manchuria, uh, they were running this uh, psychological warfare campaign. Um, and they they put up posters everywhere with the words in Chinese. Chinese uh, are the sick men of Asia. And they produced all of these competitions, especially martial arts competitions, true story, where they would poison the Chinese martial artist and then have them fight a Japanese martial artist. And, you know, both famous in whatever way they're famous. And, of course, the Japanese one wins because the other guy's poisoned. And they use that as PR to prove to the Chinese that uh, they should just accept that everything from Japan is is more refined, more modern, more scientific, uh, more, uh, you know, karate is better than kung fu or whatever. In fact, one of the more famous Bruce Lee movies was based on that story uh, itself. Oh, wow. But it goes a little farther. So during that psychological warfare campaign, the Japanese military had basically kidnapped a Shinto priest who had become popular because he could sit on a bicycle without going anywhere for seven hours and not lose his balance. <laughs> like a two-wheeled bicycle? Yep. With an invisible kickstand? No kickstands <laughs> or invisible kickstands. <laughs> So they basically grabbed this guy and said, if you don't do what we're going to tell you to do, we're going to burn down your monastery. So this poor monk is like, yeah, okay, make culpa. Well, how do you say that in Japanese? But <laughs> damn. And uh, they put him on a train going from train station to tra train station across northern China. And at every train station, he would stop and get out and get on his bicycle for a period of time that made the crowd go, whoa. And of course, there's posters everywhere saying, see the, <clears throat> how much Japanese meditation is so much more powerful than Chinese uh, by watching this monk prove, you know, his, his profound level of skill. Hmm. Um, so this is going on in the thirties in Northern China. And, uh, of course I have the map of China in my head, so this is easier for me to try and see. But if you had a map of Northern China in your head <laughs> and you follow the train all the way to the end of its track, it, it ends at a place called Tian Shan, which is, well, a sky mountain. And it was the last holdout of the, the Taoist people, which are the indigenous people of Asia. Our Taoism, although thought to be a religion, is the indigenous culture of Asia. And so the guy gets off the train and picture like a 19 something or maybe a cowboy movie, you know, mud and raised decking and stuff and horse poop everywhere or something like that. Because <laughs> pretty, 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 I don't know, back in the day. He gets on his bike, does his show. There's a crowd there. And... Um, <clears throat> This is where the true story gets into a little bit of a parable. So whether or not this exactly happened, I have no idea, but it's based on the truth of this sure. campaign. And this is what someone told me once. So I'm just going to say this may be literally true. This may be a parable. It sounds like either, but it's based on history. So imagine the monks getting off of his bicycle and there's these people there, a translator to help him, you know, answer some questions about, you know, suffering and meditation and life and how to, deal with the fact your country is being taken over by other people and he looks down the end of the train track and there's this old man leaning up against a post doing all the things that old Taoist sages do and there's an ethic in Taoism we call a discernible unrefinement where in public society unless you're doing something very specific you go out of your way to look a little bit schleppy 
which is why I often walk around with my shirt out or, you know, something that just reminds people that I'm not that worried about how I look. Discernible unrefinement. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's based on also the complete or inverse uh, translation of the character Tao, which means discernible unrefinement. Okay. Or undiscernible refinement, sorry. It, I, I heard what you said, it was the opposite. So, so you, you flip it around. So basically, you know, whatever it is you're doing that makes you spiritual is not something you're supposed to worry about. And when people look at you, the less you look worried about how you look, the more you can stop worrying about it. Hmm. Right? So it's just part of the practice. Anyway, so a Japanese guy gets off his bicycle, turns to the right, looks down the train station, and parable or true story, sees this old sage pretending to be the schleppy bum leaning up against the thing watching the show. And he can tell from... 30 feet away that the old man is like a Taoist sage, wizard, Jedi, master guy. Okay. Right? So as the crowd starts to shrink, he kind of inches his way down the train tracks and talks to the old man and walks up to him and the translator and says, Venerable sir, please, if there's any way I could be of service to one as such as yourself, you know, I would be honored. And the old man looks at him and says, I'll wait till those people are gone because I don't want to embarrass you. Hmm. And, you know, the, I'm just picturing the young guy kind of going, you know, now it's going to happen. The crowd eventually disperses and he turns back to the old man who is now standing in his complete regal, ta-da, kind of, you know, embodiment. And the young man is, you know, back a little bit and looks at the, the elder and just says, Venerable sir, please, if there's any question I can possibly answer, you know, I'm willing. And the old man just simply looks into his soul, like my friend who decided to be an assassin, and just says, why do you stop? Why get off the bike? Hmm. Now, I don't know about everybody else, but I think my bum would get pretty sore after two hours, not seven. But the point of the parable and the story isn't, you know, if you can do something as cool as balance a bike, why would you ever get off the bike? The parable or the moral of the story is it's a very, very bad idea as a meditation teacher to try and teach people that meditation is something you do and then don't do. You're on the bike, you're off the bike. You're meditating, you're not. People who go to a meditation hall with their friends to practice and go to satsang where you can, you know, have conversations about what's going on. A lot of those people, I mean, their relationship with their spiritual practice is I go into the place and I sit and I do my meditation and maybe I get a chance to speak or listen and then I go home and I'm back into my mundane life, right? People who are meditators and they have a special room in their house with an altar and a cushion and the, sorry about the making fun of things, but the statue and the incense or whatever. A lot of those people, they go into the room, they light the incense, they go into their meditation, have a blissful experience, you know, hopefully have a good posture and leave, and then they're done. So, okay. I'm just letting all this sort of filter into my brain and sort of sit down, mm -hmm. uh, settle down into it. Um, initially, I asked you um, about um, when you would actually want to do this sort of thing. So it's, it, my answer is before I get into the, that kind of detail as a professional communicator, I just want to be very certain. I'm not suggesting anyone ever start or stop. Consciousness is just attention. Right. And so, so you're suggesting that, uh, applied meditation is something that, um, is possible to embody at all times. If you have attention, you are conscious. Hmm. If your attention is consumed by habit and conditioning then you're unconscious but you still have attention 
It's just not conscious attention. Yeah. Hmm. So with some practice, your consciousness becomes aware of what attention can be and that you can point it anywhere you want or everywhere you want. And as the <laughs> if we had a soundtrack to make fun buttons and make noises god i hope we never do that but part of me hopes we do <laughs> um yeah so that that that's that's the i don't know that's the punchline of the joke is at a certain point in whatever practice you're practicing you eventually humbly come to the realization you're the only one that can stop producing the bs because you're the only one producing it. So mm. bring your attention to the triggers that compel you to produce that noise. And that could take years. Yeah. And I'm also imagining a number of people listening to this thing, crapping their pants and thinking that sounds scary as hell. Yeah, this is the hardest part of this conversation because people who have had a lot of trauma, who've, like all of us, been raised in a society um, organized by punitive authority, take any of those things as a sense of kind of blame. Because if I say, and I'm going to say this to the microphone and anyone hearing these sounds coming out of my consciousness, you know, if you think it's your fault, now it's your fault. If you think in me saying this, that it's your responsibility to fix your mind. Yes, it is. But no one's blaming you on how well you're doing or not doing. It's not about that at all. And what that is, is you thinking about the opinions other talking monkeys in your clan happen to be making those noises inside their head about what you're doing inside of your head. I mean, <clears throat> you've just doubled the homework by thinking about <laughs> other people's thinking. I'm sorry, I hope that didn't come off as rude, but I'm just saying like, isn't it funny how we, instead of going, you know, I really need to work on my, my, my inner world. So I'm going to start with worrying about how other people think about how well I'm doing with my inner world. <laughs> so now I'm in their inner world. Wait a minute. That, that was a weird reaction or reflex. Or... Here's this trophy I got for thinking really good. <laughs> I can't wait till I get to level two. Yeah. Or what is the thing people make fun of now that we all get the little thing in the mail? Oh, great. Good job with your consciousness. You know, don't worry about actually finishing the race. Huh. So, you know, when you, when you wanted to talk about applied meditation today, I thought um, applied would have meant like, oh, you can sit in a room and it's dark. And like, I thought you were going to give me sort of, sort of practical ideas instead no, of like... We're going to do that. I just wanted to get into the context and well, uh, get familiar with it. And... I know, but what I'm saying is that it, it almost seems like um, I can't unhear what you just told me. Um, the, the, so the, idea, <laughs> the, the, the idea of me being ultimately responsible and conscious about my consciousness. I think that's what you just said. Uh -huh. um, without the blame. Without the blame. Yeah. Is without you can be concerned about what any other primate has to say about how well you're doing. Some pretty trippy stuff, man. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a pretty big idea to swallow. Oh, I guess I've been in that ocean for a really long time so for me that's that's just sort of like well and the guy at the door mom it's for you yeah. it's that guy again that consciousness guy he's on a bike <laughs> you won't get off you know like to 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 be able to truly sit with that thought and um own it in some way um it's 
like I said, it's just like an earworm or something like that. I can't get rid of that thought inside my head. Um, and now it's like, okay, well, what do I do with that? What do I do with this information? How do I do with this information? If, if this is, the, if this is the, uh, the thing that's actually, um, ask a question. Sure. Who, who is the one who's going to do something with all that? Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is what they call a big poop eating grin, just in case you can't see the video part. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I like these video cameras anymore. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, this is the mother birthing canal, compassionate poop eating grin. And I'd say, yeah, brother, this, this is the game, man. If you actually want to see what meditation's about, that's the question is, really? You believe that you're actually the one who's conscious? Uh, I think this conversation's about to get a whole lot deeper <laughs> if I start talking again. Um, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> yeah. It's that if you actually are confident with the... So essentially, if you believe that your identity is really what consciousness has to offer you, get a good resume and just keep reading it. All day, every day. Because if that's your affirmation to consciousness, look, I went to school and I've had these many girlfriends and I've got a kid and, um, you know, I managed to pay my bills most of the time. And I got a podcast. Got a podcast and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here's another way to do this. So the word identity. Mm -hmm. So do you have your wallet with you? Um, somewhere back there, okay. yeah. And in your wallet you have some ID, right? Sure. So what happens if you took the ID out of entity? Out of, oh, sorry, you took ID out of identity. Um, there'd be a dent in my wallet? No, you'd just be entity. Entity. And oh. you'd be entity-ing. There would just be an entity in my wallet? No. Or me? You wouldn't, would be you wouldn't require ID to function in the world. It's a joke. Yeah, I'm identity trying to get it. minus identity minus ID <laughs> is entity. And if you're entity-ing, you're just sentience. Huh. But we are compelled because of culture and mammalian instinct to constantly reaffirm that we have good things to say to strangers to make them like us. Hmm. Or if we're a complete ass, we have really, really rude things to say to people and feel entitled at offending them because we're that kind of person. But either way, you're just defending your ego. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Um, so want to talk about applied meditation? <laughs> you look kind of like, well, I, I just shot you with a pygmy tranquilizer for a second. <laughs> well, it, with a, yeah, maybe with a very, big, <laughs> a huge pill that I have to swallow without anything to drink. I mean, the, 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 the whole idea of, uh, being so uh, conscious as to know who I am, if I'm not who I am is kind of trippy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's like, you know, it'd be better to be in the basement than the penthouse huh? in the sense of we keep relying on trying to improve our self in the sense of your identity. Right. So if I get, I do this weekend workshop or I get the certificate or I can do a hundred pushups or, you know, there's a part of us that's competing with us to be a better us. And obviously that's a good thing in the sense of just growth. But if you're, 
opposite experience is pain and suffering and self-loathing, then it's not a very effective thing because it isn't about becoming the most of what you can be with this life. You're just trying to squeeze through constantly self-created little portals to, tr to prove you're trying hard. Hmm. And if you fail, then you're bad at trying hard. And all of this stuff is just a bunch of overly convoluted instinct that we now have hijacked with language and ego. You know, and I mean, I, I guess I could keep repeating what I would describe as the problem, but that, that's essentially our culture's problem is we, we have no sense of self. We have, a, we have a sense of ego. We have a sense of story. We have a sense of, um, I don't suck, I can prove it. I was going to say keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, or I suck and I don't care and give me more antidepressants. Stat. Hmm. Hmm. So I'm just going to make a little shift here because uh, I've been fiddling with some tech here. So if you're hearing this and you're not interested in the video part, please keep listening. And uh, I don't think it'll be that distracting, but I'm going to turn on my screen to the video component um, so that people can basically watch uh, some nice little pictures because I'm just going to speak to uh, this in detail. And it's just easier for people who can see what we're talking about to see us over here. I can make us maybe a little bit more visible. Um, can I do that? I don't know. Yeah, we look pretty good in the corner of the screen over there. Okay. We're fine. Um, so, and I don't know if you'll compelled to do this. This week's episode of Fusion Health Radio is brought to you by Michael Smith's upcoming course called 10 Weeks of Applied Meditation <laughs> or 10 Weeks to Higher Consciousness. I'm going to walk people through basically what that course is going to be about. If you're interested in that course, uh, you're interested. So sign up. If you're not interested in the course, I'm not going to keep trying to sell it. So, you know, this is just a nice skeleton for us to have a conversation with. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a really great course. And if you're trying to figure out who you are and how to handle your wits in a different way, this is going to be the most efficient way to do it. Okay. So yeah. this is going to help me swallow that big pill that you just well, put in it, front of me. I was going to say it, it may help you realize that in the matrix, there is no pill or <laughs> there is no spoon. <laughs> <laughs> My brain hurts. <laughs> yeah. Meditation is kind of like that. <laughs> I got a headache. Well, you got a head. It's not comfortable. <clears throat> Um, so I'm just going to talk very quickly about what meditation practice really looks like. And it's going to start with basically becoming into mental stillness. And I like the word ness because it's qualitative. Mm. Um, there's people who are cute. There's people who are cuter. And there's that one person who's the cutest, but everyone's got some cuteness. Okay. So when it comes to mental stillness, and I'm trying to get the part of us that squeezes through those self-imposed delusions of grandeur and stuff like that. There's no one who's the mental stillest unless they're dead. <clears throat> okay. And the part of us who wants to like fit it in on a, uh, you know, gradient of, uh, you know, like a yellow belt or my black belt or blah, blah, blah. So stillness is just the willingness to be the opposite of restless. You know, you can be mentally restless or you can be mentally stillness. Right. Okay. So just, just wanted to frame that that way. Same thing, you notice most of these end in that kind of uh, adjective kind of quality. Because if you can become less racing in your mind, even for 15 minutes, you're going to become more aware of your physical or somatic sensation. So this is a natural next thing that's going to happen to consciousness. I'm not chattering, but I notice that my shoulders feel tight or my belly feels like the butterflies have turned into pterodactyls with machine guns. You know, stress can get really stressful in the sense of how you feel it as a state. 
That's uh, when you're uh, sitting on the couch with your laptop and you're glued to Facebook and you've been there for an hour and then you get up and you realize, oh, and that girl you send a message or boy you send a message to hasn't gotten back to you and the little green ball next to their name says they're actually online and oh my God, we all have butterflies. <laughs> Damn the little green ball. <laughs> Well, I wasn't going to talk more about the, the mental state, but about the physical aspect of actually being locked into position, um, doing something like that for a while. And, yeah. then, and then getting up and realizing, hey, I've been, you know, like this on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that brings up the next thing you're going to become aware of is that if you're not being aware of a better posture or at least a, a fairly healthy posture, you're going to have more somatic suffering because your body's going to keep complaining because you and gravity aren't getting along. So usually the first thing people do in a meditation practice once they're finally calming down is like, oh, maybe I'll adjust my, my posture into a place where I feel really, really not, you know, uh, eroded by gravity, you know? Right. And there, there's an alignment to that. There's an up down to that. And that is like the tuning fork. Okay. Now my spine and, oh, what do we I'm right here in this moment. What about my friends are talking about something? And, oh, I can't shut up. Oh. And then you go back to your body and like, right, here, here I go. And then you sort of shift through this place uh, where you can trust that you're not going to go into the ping pong place. And then you start breathing. And then you become present to the in and the out and then be the pauses between and all this stuff. And then you get this sense in yourself going, well, I'm really meditating. Maybe I don't need to keep saying that I'm really meditating, but it's cool that I'm in my head. I'm really meditating. I can feel my breath. I'm, oh, shut up. Ah. And then you start to get into the realization that the only thing that's going to keep you from just constant self-affirmation and, and checking in with language is a sense of resolve. I'm just going to sit and breathe. A few minutes go by and you're like, whoa, that was awesome. Shit, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Where's the resolve? Right, back to resolve. Here we go. And, and, and you know, there it is. And that's, that's essentially uh, you know, what's going on. Uh, I could get into a bunch of the clinical data. I'm not going to, you know, in this podcast, I don't think people need to know that there's all kinds of statistics that prove people with chronic pain, depression, anxiety, insomnia, inflammatory disease, you know, PTSD, all that stuff do a lot better physiologically mm -hmm. uh, because they can control their state or at least work towards ease instead of getting more balled up with, you know, anxiety or pain. Yeah, sure. But it is a choice where the mind goes, mm -hmm. right? I uh, don't need to affirm that. So I'm going to just go through the, the 10 weeks pretty quickly um, just to give people a sense of what uh, you could choose to do on your own because you don't need really me to make this work, although I'd be happy to help you if you want me to. <laughs> um, step one is uh, I always, I'll always begin teaching people meditation with repetitive movement. And this uh, would be what we call Taoyin or Qigong or yoga, or uh, you could take a, one movement of Tai Chi and just make it a recursive loop. So you could just you know keep doing the same thing over again. Uh, although some gestures definitely seem to have a lot more, uh, they look like there's a lot more intention going on or a lot more reception going on or a lot more cleaning going on. Like in the sense of I was to sit there and give myself a little bath with my hands to kind of remove any karma from uh, seeing 20 patients in a day or something. Mm-hmm. Um, if I took that that seriously, some people do. Um, so when you get into those movements, you know, and you, you, I mean, I, I had a teacher, uh, uh, he was famous in China for teaching Qigong, Tai Chi, Kung Fu, and a bunch of other stuff every day, seven days a week, minus holidays, for 40 years. 
Wow. Never got sick. I trained with him for a few years. He passed in his 80s, but he got a flu once when he was 82. And he gathered all of his students together and said, I'll be probably dead in the next two years. I'm getting sick now. It was the first cold he'd had since he was a teenager. Wow. But he was a Qigong master. Now, cool guy to know. Sad story. Back in the day, he was imprisoned because he was a Qigong master. And there was a period of time in China, and I'm sorry if this really freaks people out, where they were killing and eating Qigong masters and intellectuals, especially their brains, because the proletariat didn't want the intellectuals to be running the country because it divided people between smart and stupid, blah, blah, blah. But they wanted their mojo. <clears throat> and they thought that um, eating them would actually impart some kind of wisdom, well, their kind of moxie. I mean, you want to have a better livery to liver. You want to have better mojo in your brain, eat mojo brains. I'm not saying that's my opinion. I'm saying that's what old cultures see things in the old way. It's actually the reason why bear gallbladders are still used. Hmm. You know, they have very little medical benefit, but back in the day when Chinese people hunted and ate every molecule of an animal, because if you've ever been to China, there's not a lot of leftovers. They've been there for 7,000 years, you know, farming and eating everything. So if you're going to kill an animal, eat everything. And the, you know, they give a medical um, attribute to the gallbladder, which has to do with being decisive because in Chinese medicine, your gallbladder has to do with decision-making as well as what your gallbladder does. And uh, if you eat a bear's gallbladder, now you have the decisiveness and resolve and potency of a bear. It's basically the same reason why people with small penises buy fancy cars. Okay. Because so if, <laughs> if you went to a business meeting in a very certain part of Hong Kong, they would give you bear gallbladder soup to prove that they're one of the badass business guys who suck on this horrible tasting tea to be super bad or good or strong or, you know, intense business guys. And that's the only reason why people do this disgusting, horrible thing with bears. Sorry to get sidetracked with that. Wow. Okay. Um, but that this is a thing, you know, meditation is about resolve and we want to make sure we can, you know, do that thing. So without, I'll go, go back to go without, without killing anybody. <laughs> preferably not yeah so when you're going back to wherever i don't know sorry about that segue but um bringing it back to meditation if you can create a bunch of repetitive movements that you can use to apply intention to get into good posture to have that good somatic awareness to be focused on your breath those really give people something to do because to say, okay, we're going to start meditating and we're going to put you into a chair and invisibly duct tape you to it and duct tape your mouth closed because the affirmation is sit still and shut up. Most people are already mm -hmm. fidgeting just at the idea, mm -hmm. right? Whereas if you say, we're going to stand and walk and you know, play and we're going to keep doing repetitive movements and focus on breath and posture and awareness and using the movements to entrain a changed mental state and potentially a, a shifted emotional somatic state. Mm -hmm. And now you're doing... Uh, what we actually call Dao Yin, because Dao Yin is the original name of Qigong, and Dao Yin literally means the wandering weirdness of the universe in little increments are all you get. <laughs> and if you can choose your increment, good job. So choose your state or get what you're passively going to get from being passive about it, which is why we call it applied meditation. Because hmm. if you're not saying... I want to feel and think and be this, you're going to get conditioning. 
Now, the tricky part is when you start saying, I want to think and feel this, you have to ask yourself, and who said that? And what was their motivation? (laughs) (laughs) If all you want to do is be calm and comfortable and aware and playful uh, and present, then that seems like a pretty reasonable thing. If you want to have a good posture, be able to breathe, stay healthy, that sounds pretty instinctual. It doesn't sound like a big ego festival. It just sounds like a healthy animal. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, I just love that when you actually look at the characters of Taoyuan, it literally says you're going to have the chance to get one small increment of the entire reality of reality as it wiggles and flows, and it's your choice. Mm-hmm. It's all just sort of settling in right there. <laughs> so I did a, a mini blogcast a, a while ago. Turned out to be like an hour, but I couldn't stop myself with where I went. It was called Digging the Well of Zen or Your Well of Zen. Uh, and this uh, usually a, this is the point at which I bring up uh, that as, as a thing. So if you're interested in that conversation, um, I thought it was a fairly, every time I have that conversation, it's I think a very beautiful conversation because it gives us a sense of purpose and flow. Mm-hmm. So that would be week one or lesson one is find some movements that you can do that are comfortable, not too restrict, restrictful you know, or restraining in the sense of control. Because if you're going to start by trying to like over control yourself, you're, you're just going to make yourself more stressed out. So find some, go, go online, YouTube, Qigong, basic movements, <clears throat> learn a few, go in your yard, keep repeating those movements over and over again, and just get really good at them. Whatever that means in the sense of, you know, coordination, dexterity, flow, grace, poignance, I don't know, acrobatics, if you're that fit. <laughs> but then then you're as a, an embodied being um, proactively making this present the way you, you choose. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So next thing you would get into is called standing meditation, where you pick different postures and just stand still and focus on the same things, posture, breath, awareness, but you're not going to move. I mean, if you need to move, move. I'm not, let's just keep duct taping on the conversation, right? But... And I would start with like three minutes and then get up to five minutes. I had a teacher once, I mean, great teacher. The guy was a bit of a nut. Always the best teachers are a bit nuts. Uh, We had to meditate standing for 45 minutes a day in the morning and then uh, an hour seated at night when we were doing this crazy uh, rite of passage initiation thing. Standing perfectly still for 45 minutes with your hands out in front of you is, it's like torture. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think they use that as a form of torture. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm not suggesting you do this for more than a few minutes because I don't want you to think about torturing yourself, but I always recommend people before you get into a seated meditation, you focus on standing because you're upright and you're focused. And in the sense of the warrior-ness of choosing consciousness over passivity, it's a little bit more work than sitting on your bum. Hmm. So you're affirming your, what we call chong chi, your resolve, uh, as as a being in a body by standing still with your knees bent, with your hands in whatever posture you're choosing. Different postures have different, uh, say, esoteric you know parts to them. So you could choose postures based on subtle, subtle things, um, or you could just stand there because you don't care about that stuff. You just want to <laughs> you know focus. Sure. So again, really, really deep thing to get into. And the best part about standing meditation is you can drop into it every time you're stuck at a traffic light or line up at the bank or the grocery store. Bend your knees, feel your pelvis, feel your spine, breathe deep, soften your gaze, and be the opposite of a jerk to the person at the other side of the till. Hmm. Hmm. Because now you've kind of like, yeah, I, I owned this moment, you know, 
look at me being the badass consciousness version of me. All I had to do is bend my knees, shake my sacrum, sit still in my body standing up <clears throat> and be nice to people. And you've just now self-corrected consciousness in one increment for the entire universe. Because that person on the other side of the counter is going to remember you as that kind, nice person with a gentle gaze in their eyes that was very, very patient with whatever time it took for you to get through their till. Hmm. I have a native elder who calls that the sink drain of the modern world. And he says, that's the beginning of any spiritual practice. Anytime you're buying anything in a big store, don't be a jerk. <clears throat> be the opposite of a jerk. And people, you mean you're basically doing like shamanic medical qigong to these poor people who are stuck standing on their feet, probably not in a meditation posture for hours dealing with jerks. Mm. So that's a really beautiful benefit to standing meditation because it can happen anywhere and everywhere. So next thing is the standard as package seated meditation. Um, and there's lots and lots and lots of ways to do it. Um, usually when I get into that with people, it has a lot to do with where your eyes are pointed and the pattern of breathing you're doing, which I don't have time to get into uh, right now. But, you know, when you're seated, you're not just sitting there doing nothing um, or else your posture would collapse. Your breath wouldn't be very deep. Your mind would wander. Your hand would be full of your cell phone checking whether or not the green ball next to the girl is still on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Right. So, so seated is just the bent version of standing meditation. You still have to focus on chung chi and resolve and breath. But um, you can do it a lot longer. And again, you can do it anytime you're in a chair, subway, bus. I wouldn't recommend it if you're driving a vehicle, unless you've got a lot of experience, because you definitely don't want to crash into people. Um, but, uh, you know, you're in an office, whatever you're doing, there's a chance when you're sitting to be conscious. Hmm. Yeah. Next thing is lying meditation. So we're all going to lie down once a day for sleep, unless you sleep standing up and Medically, I would suggest you talk to someone about that. <laughs> and there's a lot of different things you can do with it. I mean, in yoga, we have the, um, oh, I forgot the Sanskrit name for it, it'll come back to me, but uh, the corpse pose. Vipassana, is it? Um, or something? It's left the building of my <laughs> field of consciousness. <laughs> but there's lots of different things, postures, orientations, practices, uh, directions you can point yourself with respect to the compass. Lots and lots and lots to it. Um, what I usually do with that as, as a meditation teacher is uh, we had a conversation or two about neurosymptomatic therapy mm -hmm. a few podcasts ago is to walk people through that as your practice. Because if you're lying down and you don't mind adjusting your posture in ways, uh, how you're lying to put certain muscles in a bit of traction with gravity, you can unravel your embodiment of trauma very consciously, consciously given those layers of distress. So if you want to figure, you want to learn more about that, go to the podcast uh, NST, neurosthetic therapy, the practice, because it's an actual individual meditation practice, which you can do lots with uh, when you're uh, lying down. Hmm. You can do it in, in other places too. You can do it during a massage, which is usually lying down. Right? So lots of fun there. I mean, it does kind of weird out my massage therapist when I go in and say, yeah, I'm going to go into a lying meditation. I'm going to ask you to follow this pattern of, of, of attention to my body with your hands. And, um, Here's your money. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some massage therapists are down with that because it's like a day off. They don't really have to do anything except, okay, I'll follow your, your menu. <laughs> Interesting. But it's a powerful, powerful way to go deep into, for me, PTSD, which is an embodied thing as much as, you know, a, a mental thing. So next thing I get people to do once they've done some moving and standing and seated in lying meditation, which takes care of most of the things 
you know, in terms of postures and positions, is to get into what's called an awareness frequency practice, which goes back to the fun we had a while ago about starting and stopping and you know, when does it happen and is it always happening and blah blah. blah. <laughs> I think I kind of mess with you a bit. <laughs> Sorry, but I'm not. <laughs> And I could tell you another fun story, but it takes too long. But um, my practice usually is two minutes an hour. Two minutes an hour. Yep. If I'm in clinic, if I'm teaching in a school, if I'm whatever I'm up to, doing dishes, hanging out with my kid, uh, sitting in my computer working on stuff, two minutes an hour, I go into meditation. And most people can't tell the difference. Hmm. But you can. Yeah, because I'm moving into state. Right. You know? So you might notice I'm kind of really sort of suddenly aware of how I'm moving. I might not be, I had a student years ago <clears throat> and all medical students have to follow more um, seasoned professionals for a while just to see what it looks like. And she said, it's really weird. You know, half the time you're just running around like everybody else and half the time it looks like you're dancing. And I'm like, oh, that's just when I go into meditation. Because all of a sudden I just become like I'm doing Qigong or Tai Chi. My body just wants to flow and be really coordinated. And to this day in her clinic, she moves around like she's dancing because for that, for whatever reason, that made her feel a certain potency in the interactions between herself and other people to be mm. aware in that way. So, you know, if you're trying to figure out how to fit this into your life and you don't like sitting still for 20 minutes a day or a week or whatever, get a little beeper on your Fitbit or your phone or your watch or, I mean, there's apps for everything now and just have it send you a little beep every hour and maybe it could say shh or you know, be kind or, you know, God loves you or you're not there. Yeah. Or who is the one looking at the phone? <laughs> <laughs> Just to remind you, Oh yeah, I can focus on my posture, my breath. Who my... is the one looking at that green dot on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> who is the one not answering my God? <laughs> anyway, so there's lots and lots and lots of ways to, to look at this. Um, I go into it. I, tell that story about the bicycle in another blog cast I did by myself. Uh, it's called awareness uh, or whatever it's called. Have you ever tried an AFP awareness frequency practice? Mm -hmm. So it's about 20 minutes, but um, I love that I'm allowed to at any moment in my life to become profoundly in the middle of a really deep meditation for free whenever and wherever I want. Oh, and I'll bring the reason why I brought up my teacher so only. He was imprisoned and they didn't eat his brains, obviously. Uh, but when he was in prison, he was in a very small room and he could only do very limited training. And he just did two exercises, one to expand movement, which is like, you know, your arms just basically come up in front of you, then up beside you and then down to your sides. And then a settling practice where you're doing the opposite, your hands come out uh, to the sides and then come down over your head as if you're kind of like giving yourself a little shower. And, uh, you know, he spent three years in prison basically doing those two gestures. And he said, um, if he had to spend the rest of his existence in that kind of an environment, he could still have uh, completed his training in Qigong and his meditation and his enlightenment just with those two movements. Wow. And this is a famous guy who's like taught every day for 40 years and, you know, knew, knew what he was talking about. Next thing, walking meditation. Walking. Yep. Huh. Um, isn't that dangerous when you bump into stuff? Uh, again, the <laughs> affirmation that we all seem to have co-opted in our brain is meditation is when you close your eyes and have an internal nap of some kind and, you know, or you count your beads or your... No, I, shows up. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of doing it with eyes closed. I was just thinking that if my consciousness 
if I'm not really paying attention to where I'm going, then I don't really know where I'm going. So, yeah. So, yeah. So just a minute for a minute, imagine someone walking and then imagine that someone else is walking five feet behind them. And that person is someone with, say, my martial arts background. Okay. And that person is walking. You can tell they don't really have much up and down in their posture. They seem really, really connected to the ground. Their head's on a swivel without looking paranoid. That person is not going to stumble over anything because they're consciously embodied. Hmm. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because, again, it just sort of creates that polarization between meditation is this sort of ephemeral la la place. <laughs> and when you get into applied meditation, you're a Jedi. Right. I mean, no, you're going to catch people from stumbling. You're not going to be stumbling. Okay. You know, and I'm not saying this to sound like a tough guy, but um, because I've been doing martial arts a long time, I get to have weird experiences that remind me, well, my reflexes are weird. I mean, this happened years ago. I was in a restaurant reading a book and the person uh, next to me at the counter, it was one of those, what do they call them, diners or something like that? Sure. <clears throat> I was reading my book and they knocked the salt shaker off of the table and I caught it and gave it back to them without looking away from my book. You must have freaked out. They were kind of weirded out and I was kind of weirded out because I was just like whoa I'm either really paranoid or just really aware of my surroundings <laughs> but I'm just saying that as not to show off or whatever but just to say that meditation makes you more effective in the world not less okay in every way so if you're walking you could focus with gait uh, how your footfall happens uh, one thing that's really powerful I think is uh, to play music that has the same rhythm hmm as your footfall and professional athletes who do a lot of long distance running actually do that. They have an auditory drive for gait and anyone who does that, who's a runner, if you're a runner, try it. Everybody gets on average 20% more efficient as a runner because now you're dancing. Because you're running to the beat. Yeah. Which is dancing. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a walking meditation to the music with a pace that helps you stay focused on the pace and you could be inhaling for so many steps, exhaling for so many steps, focusing on, um, intentional practice with different steps if ch changing direction means something um you could be walking towards something and have that as um my approach to this you know experience is um my focus or i'm walking away from the end of a relationship and as i'm walking in my meditation i'm leaving that person and those experiences behind um not because i dislike them or maybe because i do but i try not to end relationships that way but because i want to just have that consciousness sense of just distance and letting go mm -hmm. and uh, we talked about voice dialoguing a while ago actually just uh, i think last week uh, i love doing voice dialoguing as i'm walking and you're saying that's meditative voice dialoguing is black belt applied meditation because no, you're I'm, doing I'm just, psychological surgery on your ego <laughs> no i'm just picturing you walking down the street talking to yourself out loud mm, that would be weird <laughs> yeah well i was just trying to make fun of you <laughs> no, no, please, please do <laughs> i was like a kind without voices <laughs> and then he walked around with puppets, and he talked to his puppets yeah that would be taking the, the practice a little bit far yeah but Think of you, you know, walking down the street with, um, say, someone you had a business with five years ago and it ended badly. And now you're trying to make friends with them again or recapitulate whoever's fault it was or whatever, you know, because you're walking down the street with your friend. Now, if I'm walking down the street and I'm alone, I could be doing voice dialoguing with my invisible friends. And I'm, if you're taking this literally, you're not. Go back and listen to the other podcast because you missed <laughs> the point. 
but that way I can have a really meaningful conversation with, you know, you know, Larry the lizard or whatever. And it feels like there's progress because you're walking. Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting down in a chair at some serious negotiation table with beady eyed stares and pens in our hand to sign contracts with stress. I'm just chilling with my bud. Right. And we're working it out. I mean, I don't know if this relates at all, but you know, quite often when we get into these podcasts and we do a longer session, Mm -hmm. uh, I start to get all fidgety and I start twiddling around with this little thing (laughs) in my hand here that doesn't, and that's because I need to move in order to have stuff uh, settled in and think, Mm -hmm. right? Well, I mean, you could, because we're on camera, you're probably going to want to stay on camera, but you could also just pop the mic off your stand and stand up and bend over and shake your ass (laughs) and do some fun. (laughs) So we're almost done. Next thing is to get into actual breath work. And breath work first requires you to learn how to breathe, which means you're going to learn the kind of muscles you learn as a weightlifter to lift weights. Now you're going to learn the muscles of how you breathe to breathe more consciously. You're going to focus on uh, especially uh, what we call incremental breathing, where you're counting your breath in, counting your breath out, Mm. say six heartbeats in, six heartbeats out. You might pause at the top, pause at the bottom. There's box breathing. There's uh, the Wim Hof method. There's all these different ways that you can use breath work to profoundly focus your meditation on something that has at least a 15 second um, um, deadline. I mean, if you're breathing really, really deeply, you're going to probably have two respirations per minute, 15 seconds in, 15 seconds out. And I wouldn't do that until you've been, give yourself 20 years, folks, just FYI. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm just thinking of, uh, you said his name there, Wim Hof. He's the uh, Iceman. Yep. Yeah. His whole um, spastic, erratic kind of breathing method, whatever it is, so that he can actually jump into frozen water and stay there for hours. And he's become one of the most popular people because it works. Mm. I mean, you take anybody who's like going through neurosis, going through chronic pain, doing all these things, and now you can control your body's instinctual reactions to the world. Hmm. Now you're a Jedi. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say this. I just spent 200 bucks on this course. Wow. I haven't got into it yet because I'm too busy. But when I have, I think it's five or 10 hours to, to sit and get into all this you're, stuff. You're going to be at the front of the line of the polar bear swim this January. I don't like to get cold, <laughs> but maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be better at that because of this practice. I don't know. Yeah. So next thing that we would learn in this class and the next thing I would encourage anyone in terms of meditation is to play with shamanic practice. And, um, that has to do with auditory drive with drumming. Um, that has to do with chanting, with singing. It has to do with working with uh, very subtle things that English is very unprepared for because English is a very literal noun-based reality. So for me to start talking about medicine allies and ancestoring and things like that without the time to give people a real clear idea of what that means in every other language than English, while <clears throat> well, speaking English, which is a weird thing. Hmm. Welcome to my world. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, really, really, really powerful stuff because as I mean, I think anyone who uses the word shaman, um, has a sense that this person has some mojo. I mean, they can do something that has to do with spiritual power in some way, whatever that kind of means. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want anyone that I was, would train as a Qigong teacher, as a meditation teacher, I would ask anyone to learn those things, even if they didn't have any respect for that reality, because they might run into somebody who needs those practices. Hmm. And if you've never tried them and you have an opinion about them, uh, what's that thing people talk about when you assume something? Talking about an ass and you and 
<laughs> something. Anyway, so if you've had no experience with something and you have an opinion, um, maybe you're doing the assume thing. Yeah. <laughs> so next thing we're going to talk about rites of passage because um, there's a kind of kung fu or kung fu thing that uh, we do. It's a hundred days of something. And there's a practice that goes along with that that includes like a journaling thing and a bunch of other stuff so that you can actually commit to engage in and complete a rite of passage. Hmm. I guess I'm going to plug something else. So I'm launching a course next February, 2018. It's going to be called a hundred days of 110%. If you're the person kind of person who likes the kind of pseudo military, holy crap, I'm in boot camp and I'm not going to quit. That's going to be that kind of course. A lot of people don't like that kind of thing. Every once in a while, I need to shake off the willies and actually show up and not screw up and focus. So I'm going to do that again this year because I'm turning 50 and during the middle of that training. And I just thought, how am I going to celebrate turning 50 by getting younger and fitter? Yeah, well, I was going to say, you're going to celebrate it by being crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But that's just my perspective because I'm not 50 yet. <laughs> Having a cold shower every day, going to the gym three times a week, meditating every day. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Just crazy, crazy. So the last thing we're going to talk about in that uh, training is the entire point of any spiritual practice, any meditation, any religion that isn't a real estate operation, uh, is your autonomy, hmm. your sacred fundamental autonomy, which is your birthright as a human being to be you to be met as you, accepted as you, loved as you, not told who to be by other people, not manipulated by Mama TV and Facebook and the news to tell you what to think or feel and worry about. Because we as consumers, sorry, a little throat vomit. <clears throat> it's funny how we keep getting all consumers on every platform. Oh, Shlobotany, like other consumers, is upset at the price of McDonald's or whatever. Like, how did we... Anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's another podcast. That's another podcast. And it's not our podcast. <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> anyway, so the opposite of being told who you are is to find out who you are. And as you get into meditation, the part of you that is truly you is going to show up and kind of start, you know, using its gentle but purposeful elbows to move all the other crap out of your way. Hmm. But that doesn't happen being a passive consumer of opinions about you and then using your self-defense ego to try and fix the opinions you have of their opinions of, it gets kind of into a feedback loop. <laughs> so uh, when it comes to applied meditation, that's just 10 ways to go about it. Wow. And, and they're the opposite, not the opposite, but they're um, going back to the mama earth, big lap, Lots of patience and mindfulness and compassion and acceptance and love. Good start. And now let's pick up a wrench and start popping the hood and seeing if we can change things that probably fundamentally do need to change. Well, it almost sounds like this is a uh, a recipe for somebody who's. Um, it almost sounds like this. Uh, this is an approach that somebody who is uh, sort of really just almost interested, not even really interested, but they want to look more into this. Mm -hmm. They could, because it's, it sounds, it sounds like a progressive gentle kind of approach to doing this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it also sounds like somebody who's, you know, that hardcore meditation junkie for lack of a better word, somebody who's got a little bit more chops around this whole thing uh, would be, uh, they'd be able to get something out of this too. So I'm going to ask you as a listener. Sure. And I'm asking the listeners when they actually listen to this, which is 
a bit of a Star Trek time lag thing. But <laughs> so as you hear this, I'm going to ask you a question. Would do do you respond better to being dared or to being encouraged? Uh, me personally. Well, I'm asking the future listeners, but you right now because encouraged. Yeah. So I encourage and dare everyone who thinks of themselves as a pretty knowledgeable meditator to take that course to become for sure you are a knowledgeable meditator or to learn about the stuff you didn't know about meditation. And I'm not saying that I'm all that. I'm just saying there's only one way to find out what what's in that kind of training and that's just to do it. And if you don't feel like you need any more um, guidance with your meditation, then it's working for you, you know, or you're deluding yourself, one or the other. Right. And, and I mean, that's an obvious truth. I'm not saying that to be egoic. I'm just saying if you feel that your meditation is working, it's working or you're not really getting what you need from your meditation. Hmm. So you're allowed to have it work by the way. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Obviously a lot of people are getting a lot out of it or else there wouldn't be meditation centers everywhere on the planet now. Yeah. And there wouldn't be, uh, say 75% of clinicians mentioned to their patients. Have you ever tried meditation? You know, maybe that could help you. It's interesting to, to, to think of how, um, I mean, just in my own experience around meditation, certainly nothing to the degree that, that you have or um, fully understanding whatever it is you're talking about in this course, but um, I know how being mindful and conscious of things uh, affects all aspects of my health, um, physical, mental. Um, you know, it's everything from, geez, can I eat this to, oh, I'm going to digest this, no problem. <laughs> You know, that's usually where I go to. That's my default yeah. around things. So, yeah. I mean, I didn't think about this exactly, but um, this would come up in the shamanic part of meditation, but eating is a kind of prayer. Hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 Eating with intention uh, versus uh, putting food in my mouth and yeah. eating it without any kind of awareness of what I'm doing and being done before I know it. <laughs> And yeah, having indigestion. <laughs> as you stare at the green ball on your Facebook. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, yeah. This, I heard this and I'll, I'll share this with uh, the listeners because it's funny. And if, if you have a serious religious um, orientation to the world, um, I'm not saying this to offend you. Uh, if you're a person who likes to tickle your serious religious friends um, and Thanksgiving's coming up, here's a really fun way to say grace. Eating is God going into God. So eating is grace. Wow. I'm sure there might be a few people at the other end of this uh, microphone who just shut the podcast off. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's, the, that's why I prefaced it by saying if that's a serious thing, I don't mean to diminish that uh, relationship you have with the universe. That's your autonomy, and I hold it to be sacred. I, you know. I would defend your right to have that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, orientation to the world. Uh, and then I'm hopeful. I would hope that you would do the same for me. Mm. Fundamentally, I guess the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you and do this podcast, you know, besides letting people know, Hey, I got this cool course coming up. Um, meditation is the most important thing in my life. <clears throat> wow. If I didn't have, the tools that I've gained over the years, uh, I honestly feel like my life would feel like cardboard. You're saying meditation actually makes your life have meaning, purpose? It's the difference between 
cardboard and gourmet food. Mm. It may, I mean, if consciousness is the point and we can apply consciousness and expand consciousness, which seems to be what most people talk about when they talk about meditation is expanding your consciousness, that comes into everything, your sex life, how you deal with conflict, you know, whether or not you're a road raging person or, you know, whatever else comes into your mm -hmm. life as an opportunity to move towards, uh, I mean, and I think this is a funny way to say it. Being self-aware and being self-conscious and being self-centered can sound either narcissistic or very spiritual or neurotic. Hmm. Right? Because I'm very self-conscious. That could mean that I'm always feeling embarrassed. Could also mean that I'm profoundly aware of this self and its trajectory through its, you know, maturity and life and opportunity as uh, as sentience to get you know a pretty good ride while I'm here. Mm -hmm. In a lot of spiritual traditions that don't come from religions, they think of this life as a holiday. Holiday from what? What you have to do when you go back to the sky world, where we have to spend our entire you know multitude of you know millennia praying over the sick and dying. Because in those traditions, that's where you go after this back to work. This is a holiday. Yeah. You're here to learn and play. Hmm. So I don't know how much time we're into, but if we have time, I'd love to share another little piece. Sure. And again, this is not, I am not a priest. I, it was a phase. <laughs> as I speak to this, I'm not asking you to take any of this on as your reality. I'm just sharing a perception. So some tribes down in the, jungle in Peru and the Amazon and places like that. The way they describe their orientation to life uh, in the sense of spirituality and stuff like that is our true enough. It's just true enough. It's just true enough. Yeah. So when the elders speak about how the big picture works and what's going on, they don't say this is what's really going on. They say, well, this is true enough for, for our, how we fit into this. You know, you ever heard the uh, term Wakantanka or Wakantanka? Mm, no. Okay. So anyone who's aware of uh, Native American stuff and, you know, has watched any show or heard any, trying to be really polite, <laughs> person who's co-opted that culture, they, they take that word as a translation. They call it the great spirit. Okay. English is so limited. <laughs> so Wakan Tonka in the Dakota language, which I uh, had some, I've been raised up in part of the Dakota tradition, doesn't matter. <clears throat> um, when you translate those words, what you're saying is profoundly, completely incomprehensible. In incomprehensible that's the what wakantanka means it just means there's no way you're going to get it it's not about that just stop trying to pry open the universe and grab onto the steering wheel that's not your job hmm. you're a two-legged or a surface walker and you're here to be life leave the you know <laughs> the control dials alone because it's not your job hmm. so just for framing this so back down to the jungles of peru uh, <clears throat> they're true enough is essentially this before you come into the world, uh, before you come into the world at some point, and some people would say 
before your parents even hook up. Some people would say the moment you're conceived. <clears throat> Some people would say uh, at the moment of birth. Some people say when you learn enough language to have to you know, solidify your consciousness into a world that's governed by words. I mean, so I'm, just, I'm trying to keep it as loose as I can to make a point. It's just true enough. Whenever at some point you become conscious enough to make this thing happen, you're going to do this one thing. So at some point as you come into the universe, you're going to kind of make a bunch of requests to the universe, which is I want this much addiction, this much bankruptcy, this much pain, this much wealth, this many children, this much trauma. You know, uh, I'm going to become a serial killer. I'm going to be killed by a serial killer. I'm not really sure, but I've got this sort of list of menu items that I'm here to do. And I need those experiences because if I can grow through those, go through those experiences and grow as a conscious sentient being, in my passing, I bring that wisdom back to the collective unconscious of all. Hmm. So when you're, you know, in midlife and you're starting to get grumpy at how crappy your life is because all this stuff keep ha keeps happening, from that paradigm, and it's not a religion, it's just a true enough. Well, you asked for it and you needed it. And that's why you're here and please do a good job for the rest of us and rah, 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 we'll, you know, cheer you on and support you and I'll do whatever I can for you to, you know, help you with that. But that's their experience of the world. Whatever happens is something you drew into the world, whatever person you meet, whatever person or persons you marry or divorce or both, <laughs> you both needed that. And you came here for that experience so that you could heal through that experience so that we can all grow. Right? And this is a hard one. I mean, we have eight-year-old kids in Africa shooting each other with AK-47s. Apparently, we need that as a species, which I'm still shaking my head at. But, you know, that's the frame of reference, which is, okay, why is it that we need to go through this? And how can we grow to never have to go through this again? Because we're going to keep doing it until we grow, right? Hmm. So this is basically a daycare for wayward sentient beings who have some stuff to learn. Before we go back and... Tell everybody else what we learned. Uh, if we wanted to frame it that way, yeah. Hmm. So meditation brings us into a more deep relationship with that process. You know, oh, I just got divorced and I'm taking this meditation class and all of a sudden I really, really get what went wrong. I get my part in it. I get their part in it. I'm no longer looking for revenge or, you know, I'm not scrolling or trolling them on Facebook or however that stuff works. Uh, I'm not trying to crack their emails to see who they're dating. <clears throat> You know, I'm just consciously aware of what I learned from that and what I'll never do again to another person or myself. Hmm. Hmm. But without meditation or something that has to do with recycling our egoic shenanigans, it's time for the pharmaceutical people to show up with a tray of drugs. Or, you know, maybe you're just going to find other, other ways to compensate. Lots of drugs, <laughs> alcohol. Yeah. I mean, we've all tried the snooze button and what is a snooze button for? Uh, to give you another 10 minutes of sleep before you have to get up and well, face the day. There's that word we talk about being awakened mm -hmm. or as uh, what is that guy's Jesse Spears? I think his name is you, YouTube. Facebook guy makes fun of the hippies all the time. Oh, JP Sears. Yeah. JP Sears. Oh, I love that guy's stuff. Yeah. He's got a t-shirt that says woke AF. Yeah. Right. So it's news button or woke up to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Applied meditation is the way to get woke. Yeah. I mean, start with your mom, start with the, the birthing, start with the compassion, the patience, the kindness, the acceptance, all is welcome here. And then when you start to really laser in on where you're stuck and what speed bumps you might need to leap over, you're going to have to apply yourself. Sounds like you've got some um, plan, some kind of focus for people to actually um, get there. 10 weeks, all day, every day. Sign up, check it out. <laughs> cool. Um, this has been a long one. Oh, didn't know. I got no clocks over here. Long, deep. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully deep enough. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. I, it, I think that there's probably more questions that people are going to be asking. Yeah, please, please. I mean, we're, we're if you're a longtime listener, new listener to the podcast, notice that we're up in the, our game. You know, we've got video going on. Uh, we're, we're, you know, trying to market some stuff through the, the um, show notes and stuff just to help fuel the, the tech side of this because, I mean, it does cost money to put all this gear together. Um, <clears throat> But I'm trying to make this as much more interactive. So the more people shoot us questions or comments, mm -hmm. uh, the more we can actually begin to have a conversation with the people who are our tribe. I mean, if you're into this, and I'm definitely into this, and I'm into you if you're into this. So, you know, <laughs> I like you because you like me. Well, it's more like we're all we're all concerned with the same questions. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. Um, you don't have to like the podcast to be a part of the tribe, but please subscribe or share or rate and review if you feel like it. But way, way more importantly than the, the little button pushing things for the popularity contest of the internet, let's have a conversation. What do you, what do you want to know more about? You know, what do you want? Uh, how can I help you? Hmm. Yeah. How can I help you? That's a pretty uh, great invitation. And I think it might be a good place to, to sort of wrap it up for the day. Um, Certainly, uh, Facebook is a pretty good tool for people reaching out if they wanted to get in touch with you. Uh, IntegrativeHealthSolutions.ca. Uh, yeah, that's the website and the YouTube channel. Facebook is, well, there's that on, my clinic has that website or that page on Facebook, but Fusion Health Radio has a Facebook page. So I think that'd be the best place to ask Fusion Health Radio questions. And sure. And I was going to point people towards this course. Where would they find it? Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes for this podcast. I think it's actually in the link to the previous podcast as well. Okay, cool. Wow. Uh, this has been one, uh, <laughs> my, my brain is just kind of like needs, I, I'm, I'm a loss for words. <laughs> See, that doesn't happen often. Meditation works even when you're just talking about it. <laughs> meditation Jedi. I'm going to turn your brain to mush so that you don't know how to finish a podcast. Um, I'm Anthony Santa and, uh, that's Dr. Michael Smith. At least that's, <laughs> I'm waving at the video, but you can't hear me do that. Yeah. Um, and we've been talking about, uh, sorry, Michael's been talking about applied meditation. I've been trying to digest it all and let it all settle in. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, you got any questions, you got any complaints, as Michael said, Facebook is a way to connect with us. Uh, look for Fusion Health Radio there. Um, you can find this podcast all over the internet with your favorite podcast uh, aggregator, which is iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean or Player or, I don't know, there's tons of them out there. Uh, tell a friend, uh, do us a favor, uh, help share this uh, message. And um, I would suppose uh, sharing this message today especially might be good for your health, dear listener, because you'll have a whole bunch more conscious people to be in your life in some way. Uh, this has been episode 38 of the Fusion Health Podcast. 
Um, I'm reading my notes there because my brain is mush. What is a fly meditation? <laughs> cool. Uh, I'm going to get off this chair. How's that? I've been sitting here meditating for the past hour and a half. Uh, thanks, Michael. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you in the next uh, video slash audio adventure on Fusion Health Radio.